والصلاه والسلام على رسول الله وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته uh, so glad you guys could make it on the F1 weekend right inshallah today uh, it's a big challenge we will discuss and reflect upon the greatest ayah of the Quran ayat al-kursi as you all know, the Prophet ﷺ has told us that this is actually the greatest ayah of the entire Qur'an. The Qur'an has more than 6,000 plus verses and this is one of those verses which uh, number one is the greatest, right? أَعْظَمُ آيَةٍ فِي الْقُرْآنِ And at the same time, the lessons in it are, there's oceans of lessons, right? So one hour is not going to do justice, but inshallah we will try to reflect a bit on some of the beauties of this ayah. So as you know, this ayah... Uh, we'll, we'll talk about what kursi means okay, uh, later on and we also will discuss the context. It's very important whenever you discuss ayat of the Qur'an, it's important to understand where the placement of the ayah is in, in, in the context of the surah. Okay? Because uh, taking and studying ayat alone without looking at the overall picture can be dangerous. I'll give you an example of this. Many people who uh, you know, are known as extremists or terrorists, Muslim terrorists or whatever, people who blow themselves up, people who are, are causing terror in this world, what do they do? They take specific ayat of the Qur'an out of context and they use them to justify their actions, right or no? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually criticizes this act of just chopping out ayat and studying them without looking at the overall context. It can be dangerous. So it's always better to look at the overall message of the surah and then understand the ayah in light of the uh, surah itself. Okay, And of course, what's an easier job to do? Is to just look at the one ayah. It's much more, it requires much more ishtihad and effort to look at the entire surah and study it and see how it fits in, right? So people who are lazy, they just chop out ayat and then they satisfy their agendas using the Quran. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually tells us that, that the Quran يَهْدِي بِهِ كَثِيرًا يُضِلُّ بِهِ كَثِيرًا وَيَهْدِي بِهِ كَثِيرًا وَمَا يُضِلُّ بِهِ إِلَّا الْفَاسِقِينَ That with the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides many people and He misguides many people. But who will be misguided? Those who are fasiq, those who are inherently corrupt in nature. Okay. So which surah does Ayat al-Kursi come in? Surah al-Baqarah. And, and how many Ayat al-Baqarah? 286, okay? 286. And this is ayah number 255. So just to, so you understand, it's towards the latter part of Surah Al-Baqarah. And inshallah, what I'm going to be sharing with you, inshallah, you'll appreciate this a lot because it'll give you like a helicopter view of Surah Al-Baqarah, okay? So Surah Al-Baqarah, it's pretty much divided into sections. And we'll go over each section. We'll call section A, section 1, section A, right? It's ayah number 1 till 20. And it, all, all it talks about is the three groups. The believers... The disbelievers and the third group, who knows? The munafiqeen, the hypocrites. Okay? The second group, is, which is section B, talks about the creation of Adam and the disobedience of Adam and the disobedience of Iblis, right? of not doing sajda. All of that story of the creation, let's call it. And then the third section is uh, talking about the law that's given to Bani Israel the people of Musa salam. So there's an entire section from ayah number 40 all the way up to 103. There's 60 ayah talking about the story of Musa salam with Bani Israel. And laws upon laws upon laws given to Bani Israel which were constantly being disobeyed. Constantly they were failing, 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 right? Interestingly, when Allah subhanahu talks about the, the beginning of creation, He addresses it as Ya Ayyuhan Nas. So section B starts with Ya Ayyuhan Nas. O Humanity. Then section C starts off with Ya Bani Israel, O the children of Israel. Then section number uh, D, which is ayah number 104 till 141, talks about certain tests that Ibrahim salam went through. And all of a sudden, it moves on to Ibrahim salam's tests. Okay, there's like this, this transition. When Bani Israel are failing in their law, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala highlights their father. Who's the father of Bani Israel? Ibrahim salam, right? So he's taking them back to the central common denominator, which is Ibrahim salam, which is the father of the children of Israel as well as the children of Ismail, 
which will be the descendants of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So that those tests are, are taken care of, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that he passed all tests with flying colors. Then is the turning point, which is literally, subhanAllah, the middle section of Surah Al-Baqarah. The central section of Surah Al-Baqarah talks about the changing of the Qibla. Before, the Muslims would pray towards Jerusalem, then, they, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changed the Qibla towards where? Mecca, right? And literally, it's like, handing over the responsibility from Bani Israel to the Muslims now. And subhanAllah, ayah number 143, again, how many ayat in this surah? What's, what's the center, what's divide, divide that by two? 143, ayah number 143, 143, Allah subhanahu tells us, وَكَذَلِكَ And verily, we have made you the middle nation. SubhanAllah, and that sits perfectly in the center of this surah, right? Is that a coincidence, by the way? Can the Prophet come up with this on his own? Impossible, right? Back then, there was no Excel sheet, there was no uh, you know, Word document, and there was no editing, nothing. This was all just wahi, all revelation from Jibreel. And by the way, Surah Al Baqarah was revealed over 10 years. Okay, so to come up with this divine structure is, is uh, impossible for human beings, right? And then, so this is the changing of the Qibla, the changing of responsibility to the Muslims. Now check this out. There's like a mirror, and this in the Quran is called the, a ring composition or ring structure, where everything is tied up together like a ring, right? So notice the colors. Section F is also talking about tests now. But now these are tests for the believers. Allah says that he will test us with hunger and with, uh, with fear and other things. And then section G is going to talk about the law given to the Muslims. You'll find all the laws here, the laws of inheritance, the laws of jihad, the laws of marriage and divorce and uh, spending and so many, so many different kinds of laws. Section B talks about, interestingly, ego and greed as well. And we'll delve into that in a bit. Okay. By the way, where in which section does Atul Kursi lie? Section H. Okay. Notice section section H. But in section I, which is known as the last two ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah, also talks about the three groups of people: the believers, the disbelievers, and the hypocrites. You see how, subhanAllah, how beautifully structured the surah is? Okay. When you read the Quran without having this in mind, it sounds seems like it's jumbled up, right? It seems like it's all like a big uh, you know, spaghetti. And many non-Muslims and many atheists actually criticize the Qur'an for being jumbled. But when one studies the Qur'an and, subhanAllah, this structure, I actually took some of the notes from a non, uh, someone who was a non-Muslim, Raymond Farron. He actually studied the Qur'an to figure out how it doesn't make sense. But subhanAllah, this journey led him to become a Muslim because he was blown away by how perfectly everything is uh, in a sim symmetry, perfect symmetry, perfect coherence, perfect structure. So he became a Muslim, now he's a teacher in Kuwait. He teaches Arabic. American teaching Arabic in Kuwait. And he's like written books about the structure of the Quran. Uh, for those of you who are interested, there's another, uh, you know, Professor Neil Robinson also specializes in this uh, idea of structure and coherence of the Quran. In the Pakistani tradition, there was uh, the Farahi school of thought. And Amin Ahsan Islahi, his student, these were people who actually, you know, through the great work of Tadabbur Quran written by Amin Ahsan Islahi, he also focused a lot on structure and nazam of the Quran, which is beautiful. Because if you notice, most of the other tafasir, they, they explain the Quran ayah by ayah by ayah, but they don't show you how it's all beautifully connected, right? So it gives you more appreciation. So let's talk about B and H, because remember, to understand Ayat al-Kursi, you have to understand where it fits in. And by understanding B and H together, we'll be able to nail it, inshallah. Okay? So B talks about Adam and Iblis. Really, the two stories of disobedience. Okay? It talks about uh, greed. Why? Because what led Adam السلام, and his wife to eat from the tree? What was it that led them to eat from the tree? If you think about it. It was greed at the end of the day, right? They had the entire Jannah for themselves. Just one tree, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them, don't eat from the tree. But yet, Shaitan, Iblis was able to entice them to eat from the tree, which is again, human nature to be greedy, right? You have everything, everything in Jannah. Like imagine how many trees would there be in Jannah? Millions, right? 
But still they wanted that one tree. That one tree, that one act of disobedience, they fell for it. And, and so H, section H, if you read section H, 254 to 284, you know what it talks about? Besides Ayat al-Kursi, it talks about spending, 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 spending. Wallahi, if you open, the, if you open the, like the, the chapter to these ayat, it's all about infaq, infaq, anfiqu, spend, 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 which is the opposite of what? Greed. You see? And uh, Ayat al-Kursi, of course, lies in between, and we'll try to understand how greed and arrogance are connected, actually. Right? And why is Ayat al-Kursi sitting in section H? Is because what's the opposite of greed and uh, ego? Humility, right? So we learn about humility from Ayat al-Kursi. So that's where it lies. And by the way, what about ego? What was the ego story in, uh, in section B? The ego of Iblis, right? He didn't do sajda. The arrogance, the pride. Ana khayrun min, right? I am better than him. And so section H and Ayat al-Kursi specifically is going to you know, be the, the mirror of section B where it talks about the opposite, how to eliminate your greed and how to become someone who's giving. So is it clear so far, the context? So let's get into it, inshallah. So what makes Ayat al-Kursi so great is the fact that it talks about Allah. Allah is the subject and the entire ayah is the, um, you know, the predicate or the, the explanation of who Allah is. And so there's nine declarations here, here about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are nine declarations in this, in this ayah. So I've broken it up. Let's read them together. A'udhu billahi min shaitan rajim. So Allah is a subject. La ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum. That's declaration number one. Number two. La ta'akhudhu sinatun wa la nawm. Number three. Lahu ma fi samawati wa ma fi al-ard. Number four. Man dal ladhi yashfa'u indahu illa bi'idnih. Number five. I can't hear you. Ya'lamu ma bayna idihim wa ma khalfahum. Number six. Number seven, number eight, number nine, So let's get right into it, inshallah. Allahu What does the word ilah mean? We we keep saying la ilaha illallah and you know that's something you say to come into Islam. What does ilah mean? It has many meanings. One of them is that there is no source of worship except Allah. I'm attached to nothing but Allah. It's about attachment, right? Because sometimes we get attached to worldly things. And then that becomes our ilah. So someone who's attached to money and Allah, that's a form of attachment. That's a form of shirk, right? Where la ilaha illallah means I'm free with Allah. I don't need anything else. I'm free of need of money. Okay? I'll have money in my, my wallet, right? But I don't need money. It's not something that I'm obsessed with. It's not something I'm attached to. Okay? At the same time, um, you know, we sometimes get attached to our children. It's okay to love your children, but attachment should be to who? Only Allah alone. And it's not easy, by the way. For parents, it's not easy to not be attached to your children. Um, and that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that children and, and money are zina sometimes. They can be, actually become a distraction, right? If you get overly obsessed with your children, you get overly obsessed with your money. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with having children and money, but as long as you're not obsessed with it, you can't live with. If you reach a stage where you can't live without them, that's dangerous, because Allah is supposed to be sufficient for you for all your needs. The other meaning of ilah is the source of peace. Many people are in search of this pursuit of seeking peace through different things. Some people seek peace through spending. To, through buying things. They seek peace through maybe even alcohol and drugs and womanizing and gambling. But they reach a stage where they can't really find it. You can't buy peace anywhere. Anyone knows where they sell peace? Can you buy peace on Amazon? Can you buy peace at city center? How much does it cost? It's priceless, right? Okay. So this inner peace, and by the way, when we talk about peace, that's what amn is or iman, right? That is what Iman is actually, that sense of peace where you're not afraid. You're at peace, you're at comfort. So Allah is the only source of peace. That's another meaning of la ilaha illallah. You can try other means and other methods. You will not attain peace except with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, a sense of awe, 
when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation is pondered upon, how amazing His creation is, how awesome it is, right? It makes you humble, it makes you uh, speechless. But the more, more interesting meaning of ilah comes from the root word walih or waliha, which in the Arabic language is, is a type of love. What's interesting about the Arabic language is that it's very rich. So there's like 16 different words for love in Arabic. Right? And the lowest of them is what's known as hawa. That's the cheap kind of love that you have uh, out of lust and desire. Okay? The stuff that happens in your teenage years where your hormones are going crazy and it's that you know, girlfriend-boyfriend thing. It's not real love. It's just lust. And then as you grow, uh, step up on the, you know, the different levels, you reach a stage where al-hiyam is the highest. And al-hiyam literally means when you're so much in love that you die out of like obsession. You can't take it anymore. It's just too much for you and you die. Okay? Which is a negative type of love. You can call this like the Romeo and Juliet kind of love, right? Where if she's not there, I'm gonna die. If he's not there, I'm I'm not gonna live anymore, right? I can't live without him. I can't live without her. And there's so many songs written nowadays with about this, right? I don't know. So that's negative, of course. What's the second best level? That's Lwala. That's the type of love where you are, uh, there's intense love, but there's no pain, there's no hunger, there's no, uh, you know, you're, you're in a way fulfilled, you're fully satisfied with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's the type of love that comes in la ilaha illallah. That when you have Allah with you, you are fulfilled in terms of your emotional needs for love. And it's human nature to want to be loved. This applies for, human, for men as well as women. And so what we're saying with La ilaha illallah, that when I have Allah's love, then I'm fulfilled. Okay, and so this is like the highest form of uh, love, like we said. So La ilaha illallah huwa al-hayyul qayyum. Now interesting, there's two names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here, two beautiful names of Allah. What are they? Al-hay and al-qayyum. So let's understand what does al-hay mean. Al-hay comes from life, right? So the one who gives life, the source of life, the ever-living is another meaning of that. And by the way, always remember this. Whenever you ponder and reflect upon Allah's name, it will make you realize how insignificant and how weak you are. So if Allah is al-hay, we are all going to die one day, right? So there's this contrast being made. When Allah states that He's al-hay, He's reminding us that we're not hay. Every single one of us sitting in this room and everyone's watching this video, is going to die one day, right? All of Allah's creations are going to die. He's the only one who's going to be living. So again, remember that, like in the back of your mind, as we're talking about this ayah, reflect on the two main ingredients, right? Or the two main focus, focuses of this ayah. It's really greed and ego, right? So Allah's going to keep us in check with that. So the ever-living, the source of life. And here, life doesn't just mean physical life. Because many people are living physically, but spiritually they're dead. And so al-hay is actually hope for everyone out there that Allah is able to bring you back to spiritual life. What does spiritual life mean? When you become you know, connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you, you turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You, you know, realize that you have this ruh inside of you that's also hungry to be fed with Allah's dhikr, His remembrance. Right? You're not just body. We are made of body and soul. Right? We constantly feed our bodies right? in this world. We eat, we drink, we sleep, we have babies, we shower, we brush our teeth. Right? How many of you brush your teeth today in the morning? <laughs> yes, we all brush our teeth. So we're constantly, and you go to like shopping malls, what do they sell? Products for what? For your body. Right? You won't find any products, I mean, besides books maybe. Products for the soul, very little. Okay? That's why we call this series Feed Your Soul. Let these come and have some meal for your soul, Yani, right? Where you're giving your food some soul. You're giving your soul some food. Okay? So what's the, what's the food for the soul? Yeah, remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a way to remember Allah, reading salah properly, proper salah, right? Iqamat salah that's also a form of feeding the soul. Reading Qur'an with reflection is a means of uh, feeding the soul, making dua. Just going out in the park or on the beach or just watching the birds can be feeding your soul also. That's a form of dhikr. You're contemplating on Allah's creation. So this is like a reminder for Allah, for everybody out there that 
Even if you've spent your entire life spiritually dead, it's okay. I can bring your heart back to life. So it gives like this amazing feeling of hope for everybody. And so he's full of life. And not only is he ever, ever living. By the way, what did we just talk about earlier? Love, right? Now, what's interesting is that many other religions, they worship a God that's dead. Right? You ask many Christians who believe that Jesus is God, you ask them, did, so did Jesus die on the cross? They say yes. And you ask them, so did God die on the cross? Because Jesus, if Jesus is God and Jesus died on the cross, that means God died on the cross. So how can you worship a God that's dead? Right? It's, it makes them like perplexed. They can't really answer that question. Okay? But the idea here is it's human nature to want to be loved by someone who's living, right? You want to exchange love with someone. You can't love someone who's dead because they're not going to give you that love back, right? And that love will fade away. Right? And so, you know, we have other religions where they worship objects and idols and all that kind of stuff. That love is not really fulfilling. It's not, it doesn't satisfy you. Why? Because it's not mutual. Whereas al-hay is, is making us realize that Allah is living and so his love will come back to us. It's a two-way relationship. And also, not only is he loving, he's also caring. Al-Qayyum. One, one of its meanings is the one who constantly takes care of all your affairs. And that is something that's logical, right? Because he just told you he loves you. And so it's natural for us to take care of things that we love. You just bought a new phone. If you really love your phone, what are you going to do? Buy what for it? Cover, right? And then a screen protector, right? You just got a new car. You're going to you know, make sure that you take care of it because you love it. And so when you don't take care of things, that's a sign that you don't love it anymore. So any of you out there who have like a really old car in the house that's rusted up and you know, it's more than 10, 20 years old, you're probably not taking care of it much. Why? Because you don't love it anymore. Right? Isn't that human nature? So Allah here is telling us that my love for you is so intense that I'm constantly taking care of you. Whether you realize it or not. Just like the baby who's t constantly taking, being taken care of in the womb of the mother, although the baby does not know who's taking care of it, right? It's really our state. Allah's taking care of us every single instant, but we don't realize how. And so just like the baby's needs are being met, Allah's telling us, I'm Al-Qayyum. So this name should make us feel relaxed. Everything is under control. Everything is taken care of. Relax. Okay? No, no need to be worried. This name should not make us worried anymore. This name should not make us feel this sense of fear. Because who's in control? Like you just zoom out. Uh, whatever situation is in your life, you need to zoom out and remember Allah is Al-Qayyum. So he's in constant control over that affair, and he will fix it for you. Al-Qayyum also means the one who fixes things. That's why this book, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls it in Surah Al-Kahf, Qayyiman, right? We say Alhamdulillah in the first ayah. You recite this surah every Friday. Alhamdulillah alladhi anzala ala abdihil kitaba wa lam yaj'al lahu iwaja. We thank Allah for sending this book down to the Prophet there is no crookedness in this book. And then we confirm that by saying, It is in fact straight. And it straightens you up also. It's in and of itself, it's straight and it straightens you up. So Qayyum also means the one who straightens you up. Whether you ask or not, Allah will take care of you. Right? You don't need to ask for it. It's, it's already given. It's part of the package. And he knows exactly what you need. Sometimes you ask for things that, you, that are not good for you. Allah will give you what you need, what's perfect for you. Okay? And we'll see later how, like, uh, because of our limited knowledge, sometimes we complain about things. But Al-Qayyum is supposed to make you, like I said, relax and chill out. Allah is taking care of you. And what is, what is he taking care of? Allah doesn't even say. Why? Because he's taking care of every single thing. And by the way, he's not only taking care of you. He's taking care of all of his creation. He's, the care, he's taking care of the insects and the animals and the birds and the planets and the galaxies and the mountains. Every single thing out there is 
in fact dependent on Allah's care. And why is He taking care of us? Because He loves us. Okay? Because we are His creation. And not only is He caring, He's capable. Because I could be caring for my you know, one-year-old daughter, but am I capable of you know, protecting her from uh, getting sick? Am I? No, right? It's not in my hands. I, I'm caring for her, but I'm, sometimes we have limited capabilities. A friend comes up to me and says, uh, you know, Brother Fahd, I need to borrow 10,000 dinars. Now I care about this brother, but I don't have 10,000 dinars, so I'm not capable of helping him. Whereas Allah, is he incapable of anything? So here's, through Al-Qayyum, Allah is highlighting that he's caring and he's capable of anything. Nothing is impossible. And so, you know, human beings are part of our weakness. Remember I told you every name of Allah will highlight your weakness as well. So in Al-Hay, we notice we are going to die. We're weak. Through Al-Qayyum, we're going to realize Allah is caring. He's capable. What about us? Our care is limited. For mothers who have multiple children, they care about their children, but up to a certain extent. After that, what's going to happen? She's going to call the housemaid. Give me a hand. Help me out. She's going to get stressed out. She's going to need to rest. Right? That's why we outsource sometimes our care, and we hire people to take care of our children. Right? Why? Because we are weak. We can't take that upon ourselves on our own. That's a sign of our weakness. Even if it's someone that you're visiting in the hospital, okay, someone you really care about, you're going to stand above them. You're going to hold their hands, right? You're going to give them words of consolation and you're going to make them feel comfortable and you're going to make dua for them. But for how long? 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes. Then what's going to happen to your legs? You're going to start complaining. I need to sit, right? So you're going to sit down. By the way, qayyum also means that, you know, from qa'im. So his care for us is alert care, right? So he literally, qa'im means to stand up. So it's not like Allah's taking care of us while being relaxed. No, he's constantly alert, right? It's constant care with full alertness. Whereas for us, we have limitations in terms of our care. You're going to sit down after an hour. You're going to lay down if it's a very close person. And then you're going to go home. Because the hospital seat or the bed's not going to be comfortable for you. Right or no? So that shows you your limited capabilities in, term, in terms of qayyumiya. And so then Allah beautifully moves on to the second declaration, which is لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم That neither, neither does slumber nor sleep take over him. Because, you know, like I said, our capabilities are, are limited. All of us sleep, right? All of us get drowsy when we're tired. And here, Allah is highlighting that His love and care for us is so constant that He will never fall asleep and He will never neglect you. And so, you know, security guards are known for care, taking care of security, right? It's one of the most boring jobs ever, right? And many of them fall asleep. Why? Because there's limitations of the human being's capability to take care. Whereas Allah is saying, neither does slumber nor sleep take over him. And now, you know, once it was asked, does Allah sleep or not? So the example given was the example of, you know, if, imagine I was holding a, a, gla a, a mug in my hand. And I fell asleep eventually. What's going to happen to the mug? Fall down and break, right? So similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's as if the entire universe, all of Allah's creation is in the, think of it in the, in the care of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just like that mug. So how can he fall asleep? How can he be drowsy? He can't because if he was to do so, this entire universe would fall apart, right? Who's keeping the sun and the moon in this perfect orbit? Who's keeping all the galaxies in their place? Who's keeping the, the high tide and the low tide in perfect harmony? It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So his, this entire universe is dependent on Allah's constant care. Nothing is autopilot. And by the way, here also we're learning that, you know, 
you know, in terms of human beings, our care for, you know, when you're in your ICU and you are on machines, right? What's keeping you alive? The machine, right? And what do we call this, this system? Life support, exactly. So, and you know, when we, you visit your, your loved ones in the hospital and they're on, on their life support, what do you feel for them? You feel the sense of like pity and sorrow, you know, and grief that it's nearly the end. These guys are helpless. Through Allah's, through Allah's statement, La sinatum Allah is actually highlighting that we are all on life support right now. Every single one of us. Because without Allah's support right now, all of us would be dead. All of our hearts would stop beating. Right or no? And so we sometimes take things for granted. We take this breathing for granted, the heart beating for granted, right? Where Allah says, Al-Qayyum is someone who you constantly need. Okay? And be appreciative of that. Every single leaf that falls is under the control and care of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every single ant that you see is under the constant care of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So nothing gets neglected. Nothing is not important. Everything is equally important. You know how sometimes parents have like the favorite child and then the not so favorite child? Usually number two gets neglected. And number three, and number, the last one is like the best child, right? The first and the last usually. And the middle one's bichare, you know? They suffer. So with Allah, there's no favorite, not so favorite. Uh, I forget them, you know, come back to him after a while. No. All of us are equally important. Al-Qayyum. And so, interestingly, earlier Allah says al-hay, right? Now he's reminding us that he doesn't sleep. Why? Because sleep is a form of death. As you all know that you know, when we sleep, our ruhs actually leave, leave our body, right? Our nafs leaves the body. And so uh, it's known as the sister of death. So if Allah is al-hay, then how can he sleep? He can't sleep, right? So it's, it's also confirming the previous statement. And another meaning of this is that he's watching you. Every single act you do, whether, and remember, let's connect this to giving now, right? When you give someone some help, when you spend, Allah is watching you. It's recorded. It's the sense of motivation for you now. And at the same time, if you're sinning, if you're doing something bad, if you're hurting somebody, if you're doing injustice to others, if you're backbiting, if you're spying, if you're cheating, then Allah is watching you also. He's not, he's not asleep. Maybe, you know, for the teenagers watching this, maybe your parents fall asleep at night and the Wi-Fi is on and you have your tablet and nobody's in the room, it's locked and you can access any website you want. But remember that Allah does not sleep. Your parents sleep. You can turn on the surveillance cameras, but Allah does not sleep. Right? So it keeps you in constant check. And then the third statement is Lahu ma fis samawati wa ma fil ard. Everything in the skies and the earth belong to him. So again, remember the context? This is about giving, right? This section, section, what was the letter for this section? Nobody remembers? B and G, yeah? So section G is about giving, section B was about greed, remember? So Allah is saying everything belongs to him. Therefore, should we be greedy? When does someone become greedy? When you think that you own something and then by giving, you will lose what you own, right? Whereas here Allah is saying everything belongs to Allah anyway. So whether you give, it's his anyway. It's not, it's, it wasn't yours to begin with. You never owned this. All the money we have in our bank accounts is not ours to begin with. Your homes are not yours. Your cars are not yours. Your clothes are not yours. Your jewelry, sisters, your abaya, your bags, are not yours. Your children are not yours. Lahu ma fis samawati wa ma fil ard. Through this statement, Allah is telling us that everything belongs to Him. So you should not hesitate to give. Because it's not yours to begin with. And here Allah is also highlighting that His care is like that personal care of the owner. To understand this example is, you know, you know when you rent a car, you really take care of the car? 
or just do you just drive it like carelessly? I mean, if you if you have some decency, you'll drive it okay, but you're not gonna take care of it, right? Whereas if it's your own car, you'll take care of it more. Now, who takes care of the child better, the mother or the housemaid? The mother, why? Because she's like the, you can say the, the real personal care owner, right? And so it's human nature for us to take care of things that we own in a better way. So Allah here is telling us, I own everything, therefore, I'm going to take care of everything. Okay, he's highlighting that this care is that personal care of the owner. Nothing gets neglected. And remember, you own nothing. So he, which name of Allah is being highlighted here? Al-Malik. Everything belongs to Allah. Allah is the owner of everything. Allah's ownership is being highlighted in this, in this section. We own nothing, therefore we, need to, we, we don't need to be greedy about anything. And it makes you, again, this idea of detachment, right? It helps you detach. You don't own anything. Everything is given to you. And this is all a test to see how you will use what is, what's been given to you. Wow, vitamin and wow, they call it. The, when you have connections that can sort you out, when you've got connections with like the head of the traffic directorate, then you're going to speed as much as you want. Why? Because you, one phone call and your all the fines that you've been getting, right? Especially nowadays with the increase in the regulation of fines, you get them waived. They delete them. Why? Because you've got connections. Allah here is shifting to the, actually the scene of the Day of Judgment. Now, which, which is very interesting because earlier he's talking about his love, his care, his closeness, right? His ownership. Now he's, all of a sudden he's taken us to this scene from the Day of Judgment where there is no shafa'ah, there is no help without Allah's permission. Nobody is going to stand and make a case for you. So Allah is here is like making us realize that there is accountability. Right? We are accountable for our own actions. We cannot outsource our problems to anybody. We can't bail ourselves out of our problems on the Day of Judgment. There's no ransom that you can pay to free yourself. Okay? And so there's this beautiful balance that's being drawn here. The balance between Allah's love and care and closest to us. Al-Hayy, Al-Qayyum. The one who doesn't sleep because He's taking care of you constantly. But at the same time, Allah is highlighting that you got to realize the balance of Allah's ownership, the fact that He owns everything in the skies and the earth, and that He is the, the master of the Day of Judgment, and He is the authority. No one can speak on the Day of Judgment except with Allah's permission. Okay? So, and why is this balance important? Because, you know, sometimes, like I'll give you an example of teachers, right? When I teach teenagers, if I get too comfortable with my students and I like just act like I'm their friend and their buddy, what's gonna, what am I going to lose? Authority and respect, right? And then when it's time for exams, no one's going to care about it. And at the same time, the other extreme is that if I'm too strict and I keep scaring them, exams, exams, quizzes, study, study, are they going to be close to me? No, right? They're going to hate my class. So there's this beautiful balance between both you know, elements, Allah's rahmah and His love and care. And at the same time, this alertness of the Day of Judgment, which we talked about last week, remember? What we do while standing. Because the Day of Judgment is the day of standing. What, do, what are we supposed to do when we're praying and we're standing? Two things. Remembering Akhirah and hoping of Allah's mercy, love and care. MashaAllah, you guys have been doing your homework, huh? Great. So, number five. Now that Allah said there is no shafa'ah, by the way, what, you know, think, to think about shafa'ah, think of like a lawyer that you can hire that knows something Allah doesn't know. And he'll come up on the Day of Judgment and say, Allah, by the way, I'll tell you something about fahad that you don't know. And this information that I have will cause you to, you know, delete all his sins and enter him into paradise. Is that going to happen? Is there any information that Allah doesn't know? Is there anything that the lawyer can come up with that Allah doesn't know already? So now next, logically, Allah subhanahu next statement is Allah knows everything. Allah knows your past, your present, and your future. Allah has knowledge of everything. And therefore, there's no point of doing shafa'ah. Allah already knows your case. 
Bain Aidihim means what's in front of you, what's the scene? Because what's in front of you, you can see. What about what's behind you? Can you see it or no? So that's the unseen. So Allah knows the seen and the unseen. And Allah also knows, you know, Bain Aidihim can mean what's in front of you, i.e., your priorities, and what's behind you, i.e., things that you don't really think of as priorities. Things that you've kept in the back burner. Things that you keep procrastinating about. So on the Day of Judgment, since that, that's the topic now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is highlighting the fact that whatever we give priority to in our life will show on the Day of Judgment. And you know, through this one statement we learn like, you can write a book about time management, right? Because what is time management all about? It's about organizing your priorities and taking care of what, need, what needs to be taken care of first and second and third and, and everything that's a waste of time, everything that's not going to benefit you, you keep it in the back burner. But what does shaitan do? He flips it, right, for us. And he makes us believe that certain things are important which are technically a waste of time and those things that are really important get delayed, get, you know, um, they get constantly just, just put in the back burner and one day, inshallah, one day I will go for hajj. Inshallah, one day I will start reading Quran every day, one page. Inshallah, one day I'll learn Arabic. Inshallah, one day I will take my mother out to the park and spend some quality time with her, you know. So all these beautiful things that are so important that we keep delaying. Allah is saying He knows. So on the Day of Judgment, don't come and say, Ya Allah, I didn't have time. Ya Allah, I forgot. There's no excuses on the Day of Judgment. Allah knows what you made a priority and what you kept behind. Number six. This also has to do with knowledge, but this is in a wider scope, which is called ihata. Okay? Allah here is highlighting that our perspectives are limited. And to give an example of perspective, right? So for example, now you're seeing this remote, right? You have knowledge of whatever is on the front face of this remote. Okay? That's your knowledge. But what does ihata mean? Is this the full perspective or no? What's the full perspective? If you can see all the angles and you can open up the remote and see inside what batteries, you open this up and you see all the chips inside and all the you know, wiring, that's called ihata, when you know something inside out. Okay? So Allah here is telling us that our perspective is limited. And this actually also you know, gives us that sense of comfort that relax, everything has been taken care of. For people who complain about bad things that happen to them in their lives, usually why do we complain? Because we have limited perspectives. We don't see the big picture. Allah here is highlighting that Allah, His knowledge and His perspective is full, whereas ours is limited based on whatever permission He gives us. And here it's a big ego check also for us in terms of knowledge, right? We don't know everything. And we have to realize this. And one of the biggest lessons of this is right at the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa starts off this beautiful Surah. In fact, the Quran, right? It starts it off with Alif Lam Meem. What does it mean? Does anyone know? Nobody, nobody knows, right? So these are just, they're known huruf muqatta'at, but what do they mean? We don't know. But why did Allah put it in the beginning of the Qur'an? It's as if Allah is telling us lesson number one. You don't know anything. Right? So come to the Qur'an with that humility, that you have limited knowledge. And accept it. Then start reading. Then guidance will come. But if you come with that attitude of, of arrogance and I know and I know this ayah and this surah and this tafsir and that's why I'm very like cautious of the word tafsir actually. You know, I, I, I don't believe that that's a correct word to use because what does tafsir mean? Explanation, right? And no one can claim to explain the Quran. No one can. I don't care how much knowledge you have, how, you know. 
So yes, we can reflect, we can do tadabbur, which is known as pondering and reflection, but we can never taf do tafsir. You cannot explain, you cannot claim, I know the tafsir of this ayah. You can't, because it's an ocean. And if, if, if there was to be a mufassir, it would have been Rasulullah right? He would have written a tafsir book for us, or asked the sahaba to write a tafsir book for us, and khalas, game over. It would have been so easy for us, and we'd relax, and we didn't need then tafsir tabari, or qurtubi, or jalalain, or nothing. But why did the Prophet ﷺ not write a tafsir during his lifetime? To leave the floor open for reflection, right? That's the beauty and the miracle of the Qur'an. That it has, when you reflect on it, you can come up across meanings till the end of time. And they're all beautiful. There's no right and wrong. They're all beautiful as long as they're fit in line with the Qur'an's overall message. So, coming to an end, وَسِعَ كُرْسِيُّهُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ now we come to the, the word kursi, which is really, the, this ayah is named after this part here. Wasi'a kursiyuhu samawati wal ard. And kursi is literally known as chair in the Arabic language. Okay? Um, some mufassirun have called the kursi actually the footstool of the king. So essentially the, the throne is what, where the king sits on. And the foots, footrest, you see that thing at the bottom? That's actually the kursi for your feet to rest on. But what does it symbolize? It symbolizes Allah's authority. So Allah is saying, وَسِعَ كُرْسِيُّهُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Earlier he was talking about what? His ownership of the skies and the earth, if you remember, right? لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Now he's saying, وَسِعَ كُرْسِيُّهُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ His mulk. Earlier it was his, his ownership, right? Al-Malik. Now which name is being highlighted? Al-Malik. His kingdom, his dominion expands the skies and the earth. So he is, again, telling us to relax and chill out and believe that Allah is taking care of everything. And if Allah is the king and everything is under his authority, under his command, then we have nothing to worry about. You know, that's why, you know, they say recite Ayat al-Kursi when you're feeling afraid or when you feel there's a jinn in the room. You know, and all these things that we're told that when we're children, right? Or before sleeping, after salah. Why? Because it's supposed to comfort us. That if Allah is the king of all kings, and he's telling me he's qayyum, he's telling me that he loves me, he's telling me that he's not going to sleep, do I have anything to be worried about? Can anything harm me without Allah's permission? No. So it gives that, this, that sigh of relief. Alhamdulillah. That Allah is Al-Qayyum. Alhamdulillah that Allah is the owner of the skies and the earth. Alhamdulillah that Allah has authority over the skies and the earth. I can rely on Him. I can relax now. Okay? So, earlier was ownership. Now it's about kingdom. What's the difference between the two? Really interesting. You know, when you own something, then you become a micromanager. So you own a business. <coughs> If you don't micromanage and if you don't look at all the details, the numbers, the staff, are they coming on time or not, your product quality, customer service, what's going to happen to the business? You're going to face problems, right? You've got to be a micromanager when you own something. But when you're a king, do you micromanage? No. You just sit back and you plan and you do the, what's known as macro management. You look at the higher level things. Okay, and so here both contrasts are being highlighted. Allah's micromanagement of every single detail of your cell. All this, every single cell in your body is being managed by who? By Allah. Every virus, every single insect, like we said, every single raindrop, every single baby in the womb of its mother is being in the, like in the micromanagement care of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At the same time, the skies and the earth and Jupiter and Mars and, ga and the galaxies and the planets. And you know, all of these planets, by the way, are just the first sky. You guys knew this or no? So there's seven skies, right? All of the like human discovery till today, like NASA and all these discoveries, all the photos you've seen of the universe and the galaxies and stars, this is still just the first sky. Human beings have not been able to look at, you know, a glimpse even of the second and the third and the fourth. Okay? So, again, highlighting our insignificance. 
highlighting the fact that why should we have an ego? Right? Allah is the ultimate authority. We sometimes, you know, have our own, like husbands have their ego at home where they think they're the authority. And they look at the ayah, الرِّجَالُ قَوَّامُونَ عَلَى النِّسَاءِ And they think that they became the authority of the house and that Allah gave them this authority. That's a completely wrong interpretation of this ayah. And unfortunately, a lot of injustice is done to wives, especially in our subcontinent, right? Because of this ayah, that they use it out of context to justify their dominance over the wives, which is clear dhulm, right? So the, the qawama here is the qawama of care. Men are, have been given the responsibility of making sure that the house is in harmony, taking care of the house, making sure that all the problems are being resolved. It's actually a burden on the man, not on the wife. The husband is supposed to be the caretaker of the house. Whenever there's a fight between the husband and the wife, who's supposed to solve the problem? The husband is, right? And so, you know, this... Constantly Allah is reminding us of ego, ego, ego. Just some, another beautiful hadith where the Prophet ﷺ described to us the kursi of Allah. Again, this is something that we, is beyond our imagination, but just for the Sahaba, because they asked this question. They asked, what is this kursi, Ya, ya Rasulullah? Explain to us. So he said that if you looked at the entire skies, the seven skies, compare that to the kursi of Allah, it would be, just like a ring in the middle of the desert. So how insignificant is a ring in the middle of the, like the sub-Saharan desert, for example? Nothing, right? So all those skies and the earth, all the skies and the earth, they're all just like the size of that ring, and the kursi would be the, the size of the desert. And then the Prophet ﷺ went on to say that the kursi, in comparison to the throne, is also just like that ring in that desert. So just like imagine the, the magnitude of uh, the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then Allah in, in um, declaration number eight goes on to also describe that although he has full authority over everything, he does not get tired of protecting it. So Allah's name Al-Hafidh is highlighted here. The protector. The one who constantly protects you. He never gets tired of protecting us. Again, like I told you the example, I love my son, but I can't protect him on the football field if he breaks his leg. The farmer loves his crops, but he can't protect it when a storm comes, right or no? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through this name or through this statement is telling us that he does not get tired of protection. And so care is different than protection. Earlier Allah said that he is Al-Qayyum, he's constantly taking care of us. And he doesn't fall asleep. Now he's saying, I also protect you from harm, from evil. And I never get tired of that. Whereas human beings, we get tired. And we have limitations in terms of our care. Right or no? And then at the end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala highlights, What did the ayah start off with? Two beautiful names. What were they? Al-Hayyul Qayyum. And it ends with what? Al-Ali Al-Azim. And so Al-Ali comes from you know, the Most High, but it also means the one who's, again, in control over everything. Because the higher up you are, the more control you have. So if you're like a manager, you have limited control. If you become like a vice president, then you have a bit of control. President, much more control, right? Chairman, much more control. Minister, more control. King, more control. So Allah is saying Al-Ali. He is Al-Ali. The highest of all authorities. He is in full control over everything. And Azim is really about greatness, Allah's greatness, and how um, awesome his, his control is, is that it's done simultaneously. So for example, you know, as human beings, we have limitations in terms of our control. Every single one of us, we have control over our homes, let's say, right? But let's say, you're married to four wives. What's going to happen to your control now? You have four homes. Let's say you're, mashallah, blessed with a lot of wealth. So you have four homes, one for each wife. What's going to happen to the control? And you have like 18 kids from these four different wives. What's going to happen to the control in the family? It's going to be tough, right, man? <laughs> so 
that's the idea here. You know, again, manager of one business versus manager of a franchise of 100 shops. Where do you have less control? The bigger the business gets, right? The more challenging it gets. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is highlighting that he is Al-Ali, but he has full control over everything that he has created simultaneously without getting tired. And you know, like the higher up you go, the more disconnected and the more distance you are from the people at the bottom. So like the, like the chairman of our bank doesn't know the teller in the, in the counter of the bank, right? He doesn't know him by name. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows every single one that he's in control over by name. Every single one of us here, Allah knows us by name. So like, like the Prophet told us in a hadith that whenever we sit in a gathering like this and we study Qur'an and remember Allah, one of the benefits of this is that Allah remembers us by name up above the seven heavens. Every single one of us by name, Allah remembers us in that gathering. It's done actually. Congratulations. Your name is written there. You were mentioned by Allah by name. Now imagine like Allah, you could, you could maybe a doubt would come in your mind, but come on. Allah is busy with like bigger things. But no. Because Allah is Al-Azim, He's able to do everything simultaneously without getting tired. So, you know, the other thing here is Al-Ali Al-Azim are two factors of our salah, right? When we go into sujood, we say Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, which is from Al-Ali. And when we go into ruku' we say Subhan Rabbi Al-Azim. So Al-Azim and Al-Ali are also, there's this significance now with Salah. Allah is like connecting. Now all of a sudden, Ayat Al-Kursi is connected with your Salah. Why? Because remember, we said with ruku' Allah purifies your sins because He is greater than your sins. Right? And in sujood, you're purifying your mind from the ego. And you're saying Allah is higher than you. Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, Allah is the most high, therefore the higher up Allah goes, the lower you become. And the lower you become, the closer you get to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Now this is the conclusion. It's because, you know, earlier on this ayah started off with closeness to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Allah loves us, He's Al-Qayyum, He's close to you, He's taking care of you, He doesn't sleep, right? All of these things. Then He distanced Himself by going into shafa'ah and that he owns the skies and the earth and that he has knowledge over everything and then he has authority over everything but at the end he's saying I'm al-Ali al-Azim he's taking us, he's distanced himself so much but then he connected this, these two names to our salah to highlight that when you become my abd when you become my slave just by falling into ruku' and sujood in your salah you become the closest to me. It's such a beautiful gift that Allah has given us, this accessibility to Him directly, you know? Like in, in, our, in our modern day and age, like meeting the king is like, you know, maybe something you do once in a lifetime, okay? Unless you're very influential. And, or meeting like, uh, I don't know, Obama or something, like, you know? What are the chances? But imagine the king of all kings telling you that, you know what, you want to come close to me? You want to talk to me? Come. Asjud waqtarib. Come to sujood, come close to me. And in sujood, what we do is we uh, take care of all our ego, don't we? So to conclude, inshallah, uh, just wanted to highlight something also very cool here, is that everything in, in this ayah is connected perfectly also. Remember I told you there's a symmetry in Surah Al-Baqarah? The ring structure, there's actually a ring structure in Ayat Al-Kursi itself. So Allah started off with two names, Al-Hayy Al-Qayyum, connected with declaration number nine, Two beautiful names at the beginning, two beautiful names at the end. And then number two is connected with number eight. Number two, Allah said, لا تأخذوا سنة ولا نوم. He doesn't sleep, nor does he, you know, uh, he doesn't get drowsy, nor does he fall asleep. And then number eight was, he doesn't get tired of protection. You see how they're connected? They're both about, you know, Allah, Allah is highlighting that He is not weak. And then number three and number seven are also connected. Number three is highlighting Allah's 
like we said, ownership of the skies and the earth. And number seven was what? His authority over the skies and the earth. Right? Literally the same words being used. As-samawat wal-ard. And then four and six are also connected because both have to deal with knowledge and the fact that shafa'a won't be of any benefit to you because Allah already knows your case inside out. And notice, مَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يَشْفَعُ عِنْدَهُ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِهِ There's an exception. That no one's going to do shafa'a except with Allah's permission. And number six, no one has any knowledge of the, the full perspective of everything except with whatever he permits. So there's an exception in both statements also. Illa illa. And then right in between Allah says, Allah knows what's in front of them and what's behind them. You see how perfectly it's, it, it's structured? Yeah. Allah knows everything that came in front and everything that is behind them. So with this we, we come to a conclusion of this beautiful, beautiful surah that's you know, fits perfectly in line with what we talked about, the structure where Adam and Iblis in section B, they both did mistakes. Adam disobeyed Allah, Iblis disobeyed Allah. But what was the only difference? The ego, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught Adam the dua, رَبَّنَا ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا وَإِن لَمْ تَغْفِرْ لَنَا وَتَرْحَمْنَا لَكُنَنَّا مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ Oh Allah, Allah actually taught Adam and Hawa to accept responsibility for their mistakes. And He said, make this dua. رَبَّنَا, oh Allah, we wronged ourselves. And if you don't forgive us and have mercy on us, we will be from the losers. Whereas Iblis disobeyed Allah as well. But his mistake was that he had arrogance, he had ego, and he was someone who decided not to say sorry, basically, right? Yani imagine if Iblis said sorry, Allah, and he did sajda. There would be no story then, right? There would be no game of life, there would be no test. So this is all part of Allah's plan. But uh, you know, I hope you appreciate now how like this beautiful ayah falls perfectly in line with this uh, the structure of the entire surah and how ego and greed are really the two uh, big lessons here, right? For us to, you know, digest and live by. It's easy to talk about these things, but when it comes to practically living by them, that's where the real game is, right? And so may Allah make us people who act upon the knowledge that we have and may He make us people who inshallah appreciate the Qur'an and benefit and reflect from it. Jazakumullah khairan, subhanakallah wa bihamdik, nashhadu an la ilaha illa ant, nastaghfir wa natubu ilayk, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Any questions anyone has? The word kursi, when was it first introduced? Was it from Prophet Muhammad So the Qur'an, you know, in the Quran, it's mentioned, right? Yeah. What's the kursi you The word kursi given to this whole ayah. Okay. So, does it say in Quran? It doesn't say this entire ayah. Ah, okay. So the Prophet Sallam, yes. Yeah, yeah. He he mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. It was regarding the death when the soul into the body, you will die, right? So the sister of death. So you, you technically you are dead, but Allah brings you back to life. Because when you wake up, the Prophet taught us the dua to say Alhamdulillah amatana wa You're thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to who gave you life after you were dead. Yes, so again, you know, these are things of the unseen, you know, uh, what happens, is it the ruh? And in fact, if you look at the Qur'an, Allah doesn't say that the ruh leaves the body. Allah says that the nafs leaves the body, to be very precise in the language that we choose. You know, يَتَوَفَّ anfus حِينَ مَوْتِهَا Allah says in the Qur'an. So the nafs is actually leaving the body, not the ruh itself. So, you know, there's different views about this, but again, you know, these are things of the unseen, uh, Allah said about the ruh that, you know, when, the, when people went to the Prophet ﷺ asking about the ruh, what did Allah tell him to respond? He said, قُلْ الرُّوحُ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي Just say to them that the ruh is from, uh, you know, the matters of Allah and we have limited knowledge. But uh, yani what happens while we sleep 
the ruh leaves the or the nafs leaves the body, but what happens, we really don't know. Yeah. But what would you like to know about that? Yeah, it's, it's, there's a mystery behind it. Yeah, so, you know, one theory is that Allah blew into to us the ruh, we became uh, this living thing, but the moment we're alive, the moment we breathe our first breath, we become the nafs. Because nafs means breathing. Tanafus means to breathe. So, the moment you stop breathing, is the moment you go back to ruh. So it's like the ruh transforms into nafs during our lifetime because we constantly do tanafus, inhale, exhale, that's called tanafus. And the moment you stop breathing, you become a ruh again. Okay, so uh, that's why we breathe when we sleep. Yani. And some of us snore also. <laughs> Anything else? All right, jazakumullah khair, and inshallah we will... Uh, for those of you who want to stay behind to pray, uh, we will pray, inshallah. So you can make wudu here. There's, inshallah, for everybody. Zakum lakhir. Salam alaikum.